Well, good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, my name's Darren. I'm one of the shepherds on staff, and we are, uh, we're, we're going to finish up our Ephesians study this morning, which uh, is both exciting and a little bit of a bummer, considering that... Um, for me, at least, it's been very challenging. It's been great reminders at every turn. We've moved, we, I think we've taken 12 weeks to work our way through Ephesians, which felt like we, you know, we were stretched out in it long enough. I will say, I think we probably could have spent about two years in Ephesians. It's been uh, rich enough that there are places we felt like we were racing past. Um, but this morning, as we wind it up, what we've seen, and, and uh, I even, if you, were, if you were with us last week, I kind of punted the end of the section we were intending to study, and I combined it this week, because he... Um, he has said to us throughout the book, I mean, the, the overarching point of the book is this, that, that the Lord Jesus has come, according to God's purpose, to rescue us from sin and death. We were divided and separated. We were ruined in sin. And that Jesus has chosen us. He selected us. He died on our behalf. He rose from the dead, shed his blood on our behalf, and rose from the dead in order to extend to us this grace, this resurrection life. And we have been made alive, recreated, if you will, in Christ Jesus, in order that we would do good works. These good works involve being united, that all of the dividing lines that used to break and, and divide us as human beings because of sin would be eradicated and that we would then be united in Christ by the power of the Spirit as one new race of people, one new man, one new woman, that we would be a family. And so he's been uh, telling us that this is God's overarching purpose, to rescue us from death and to unite us together. But he says at the end of the book, you need to know that everything that God has purposed to do, our enemy Satan will be actively working to disrupt and to destroy. All of that unity, all of that love, all of that service, all of that harmony, all of that purity, our enemy, the devil, will be actively working to destroy that work. And so he says, in this last section we looked at last week, put on God's armor. And uh, we see it from sort of verses 13 on. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The idea there, as we talked about last week, is to stand on the ground that Jesus has already taken, right? The, oh, oh, in his accomplishing work and in his conquering work, we just stand and defend against the attack of the enemy. He says in 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We covered all of that last week. So if you weren't with us last week and you're kind of wondering what each of those different items, those six items, represent what they stand for, how, how it is that we're equipped in them, you can go back and watch that message from last week. But what he finishes with here, and I said this last week, is that he's going to give us six items in one order. There's a, there's a marching order here, and the marching order we find in verse 18. He's just said, put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and in 18 he tells us what we do now that all this armor is equipped. What are we to do now that all of the armor of God is equipped upon us? He says this in 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's a big verse. Verse 18 is a big verse. In fact, it was so big that I didn't want to try and do it in three minutes last week. I'm going to try and do it in about 20 minutes this morning, and then uh, I'm going to come back at the end with a couple of other things. But this morning as we finish up Ephesians, let's just talk about what he's saying. We're suited up with the armor of God, and then what he calls us to do, thus equipped, is to pray. 
Now, I don't know what you think about prayer. I think for a lot of people, prayer is a very complicated thing. I think some people think of prayer only in terms of something they do before they eat a meal or something they do in moments of desperation where they want God to move or they want God to act. We sometimes think of prayer only in terms of supplication. By the way, supplication just means making a request, right? Making a request to God. That's what supplication is. We'll see it a couple of times in this text. I think for for some of us, prayer sort of rears up in our life when we need something or when we're feeling scared or when we're feeling desperate. That's not all he's talking about here. In fact, it's important to note the kind of prayer he's calling us to in the text. In order to defend the ground that Jesus has accomplished in his saving work, we're to equip ourselves with the armor of God and then pray. Look at the way in which he says we're meant to pray in 18. The first thing I want you to see in that is that he calls us to pray in the spirit. Look at 18. He says, praying at all times in the spirit. That overarching idea of praying in the spirit is sort of the main thing to understand. That this isn't us praying in our own strength. It's not us praying our own ideas. It's not us praying our own passions or our own hobbies. It's not us praying our own agendas. We've talked about that at other times in the book. That there, there are these moments where we have to be aligned with the purposes of God. So he says here, pray in the Spirit. It's not unlike a passage like we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, where it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You might look at it and go, how do I pray in the Spirit? Well, part of it is a a, a heart and a mind of submission. It's a recognition that I need the Spirit to guide me, to tell me what to say, to give me the words. The, the implication there in Romans is that there's a, there's a kind of prayer in the Spirit that isn't even articulated in English or articulated in your native tongue, that it's something altogether separate. It's a groan. It's funny. Um, just this last week, uh, we were having a conversation. Actually, maybe now it's been two weeks. John, you'll have to remind me. But in our, uh, we do a little bit of a debrief conversation about our worship services. And I was sitting with the team, and we were talking about our service a couple weeks ago. And I've just brought up the fact that we had sung a new song, which I absolutely love. There's a new song that I wasn't familiar with, and the song was beautiful. We've done it a couple of times now. But, but the first time we sang it, uh, there was a line in it that said, all God's people sing ooh, 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 ooh. And then the next stanza, it said, all the angels sing holy, holy, holy. And I just kind of raised my hand and I said, why is it that the people, we just get to say ooh and ah, but the angels get to say holy. That doesn't, I'd rather say holy and let the angels say ooh and ah. You know what I'm saying? I don't want the oohs. I want the holies. That feels better. And uh, I, I, I was instructed in the moment. There was an instructional moment for me. We all kind of laughed about it. But then John Tabay, I think, very wisely said, you know, there, there are places all throughout the scripture where God's people say, Oh Lord, or oh God, or ooh. And it's, it's, it's the ability to articulate something you can't articulate. That there is something powerful when we sort of turn loose of our English, or we turn loose of our native tongue, and we allow the Spirit of God to speak through us. And sometimes, the people singing ooh is enough. It allows the Spirit of God to fill the desperation of our heart, or the adoration of our heart. The things that we can't find words for can be articulated. Now, it doesn't mean we can't sing holy too. The angels don't get that exclusively, right? But there was a teachable moment. I've gone back this last week and I've looked at all of the places in the scripture, in the, in the Psalms and in the Old Testament, where Abraham and Moses and David will say, oh Lord God, or ah oh Lord God, ooh, I need you, right? 
There is this call here for us to be praying in the Spirit. What we're looking for there is direction and power, but most importantly, it's a, it's a prayer that is submitted to the will of God. It's a prayer that is guided and directed by the will of God. So he says, pray in the Spirit. We see something uh, similar to this articulated in Jude chapter 20. Now, by the way, praying in the Spirit doesn't necessarily mean it will always be wordless. It's not always gonna be you. Sometimes God's gonna give you exactly the right thing to say in your native tongue, right? But there are moments where what's going on in your guts, you don't even have the words for. The Spirit of God guides us and directs us to pray in alignment with him. Not only does he call us here at the end of this book to pray in the Spirit, but even just before that in 18, he says what? Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times. So it's a call to be praying in the Spirit, but also to be praying at all times. Paul says this in numerous other places, probably most famously in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, very simply, he says, in the midst of a couple of other things, pray without ceasing. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Uh, I think about what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, about the early church, where it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. There's a call for us to pray in the Spirit all the time. Now let me just tell you, as you start to kind of wrap your brain around the call here, if you think of prayer as the thing you do before you eat your hamburger, it will be difficult to comprehend how you do that all the time, right? Because number one, you're not always eating a hamburger, but number two, that particular kind of prayer, a prayer of gratitude or thanksgiving for what you've been given, isn't necessarily appropriate in the midst of your lament or in the midst of your sorrow or in the midst of your grief. That kind of a prayer would maybe be misplaced. The call here is not necessarily that we pray a particular kind of prayer, we're gonna get to that in a second, but rather that we would be in constant communication with God. Prayer, if you're thinking of it as a thing that starts with dear Jesus and ends with in Jesus' name, amen, your, your definition of prayer is too narrow. That is prayer, right? But that isn't all prayer. Prayer at its heart is communication with God, which has been afforded us by the death and resurrection of Christ. He's made it possible for us to communicate with God. And it can be uh, simply, I mean, when we talk about praying at all times, what we're talking about is the ability to stay connected with God in conversation. By the way, conversation is a two-way street. So part of prayer is listening. Part of prayer is being attentive to the way God may speak to you through his word or through the body or through other people, right? That prayer is about being tuned in, right? Having the dial of your heart tuned in to God's frequency all the time for dialogue. I, I will tell you there's a lot about this isolation season over the last four months that has been hard. You don't need me to remind you of that. We all know it's been hard. There are things that are very difficult. But I would say one of the greatest blessings for me personally in the last three or four months has been that I'm at my house and I can kind of be in constant conversation with my wife all day long, right? Normally I have to go to work or I have to go other places and I, I, do st I don't want you guys to get worried. I'm still going to work some of the time. I'm working from home some of the time as well. But there is, because we're in the house together and you can't get too far away, there is the ability for me to be in almost constant dialogue with my wife about whatever. Some of it's meaningful, some of it's meaningless, but there is a, there is a point, don't laugh, uh, there is a point all throughout the day where I can turn and ask her opinion, or I can listen to what she is saying, or I can respond to something she said. I actually really like that, and I don't normally get that in my normal life. I don't get to be with her all the time 
And the isolation has afforded me the opportunity to be really close to her all the time. It's the ability to have constant conversation that they're calling us to. And you might go, well, why, why do we have to be in prayer all the time? Well, remember, the attack of our enemy will be constant, right? If this is a way to defend ourselves and to defend the ground that Jesus has taken in his death and resurrection, that attack by our enemy, the lies and the deception, the ability for the enemy to be trying to divide us or to remind us of who we were before we saved, we were saved, that attack from the enemy will be constant. Why wouldn't our defense against the enemy in prayer also be constant? Why wouldn't we always be tuned into the voice of God and be communicating with him to counter the lies of Satan and his fiery darts that are being sent towards us, right? One of the things my wife hates in our house, we've dialogued about this a little bit, is uh, the Alexa. Do you guys have the Amazon Echo thing in your house? My wife's really nervous about the Amazon Echo because she thinks it's recording all of our conversations and sending data to the you know, the Russians, or I don't know where she thinks it's going, and maybe she's right, but um, I like the ability that throughout the day, uh, throughout the day, whenever I want, I can say, you know, um, well, for instance, some of you are watching this on, let me see if I can set off your Alexa devices at home. I can say, Alexa, play Bruce Springsteen, right? I hope, I hope that's happening in tons of houses at home right now. I hope that just set off everybody's machines. Alexa, play Bruce Springsteen. And you know what happens? She'll, she'll, well, actually, some of the time, Alexa will play Bruce Springsteen. Some of the time, she'll go, I'm ordering you brass knuckles or whatever. And I'm like, that's not, I didn't ask you for that. You know, I'm finding videos of water slide accidents. And I'm like, I didn't never want to watch those. And I don't, but I, I mean, if you're going to pull them up, okay, whatever. A lot of times, Alexa doesn't understand me. A lot of times, Alexa responds to things I haven't asked. Like, there's all kinds of confusion. Listen, what we've got in prayer is the ability to communicate with God who never misunderstands us and never responds in a way that is illegible, right? We are able to communicate with God constantly who loves us and is with us and cares for us and has a purpose for our life. That, that's what he's saying. Pray at all times. Be constantly tuned in to communication with God because the battle itself is constant. Not only does he say we need to pray in the spirit and be praying at all times, back to 18, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So look at the way this thing broadens out. So we pray in the spirit, guided and directed, energized and submitted to the spirit of God at all times. So we're constantly tuned into communication with God or we should be. And then with all prayer, all prayer, right? The, the, the Puritans talked about this idea of all prayer. They, they looked at it as one, one sort of idea. But the reality is that there are different kinds of ways we communicate with God. We've just a moment ago been praying through adoration, adoration in song, as we sing, be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. We are communicating to God our adoration of, and, our, and our confession of his worth. That's a kind of communication with God, it's prayer. But adoration isn't the only kind of prayer. There's also Thanksgiving, where, where, where we say thanks for the hamburger I'm about to eat, right? We, we, ha- we talked already about listening prayer. We talked already about the idea of, of being able to um, uh, confess to him the things that are going on in our life. So confession and thanksgiving and listening and adoration. Supplication we already talked about, where we make our requests known to God. Intercession, which is like supplication, except that intercession is done on behalf of others, right? That's not me going to God and saying, God, would you give me clarity about this decision I need to make with, with regard to my job, or would you uh, help me to overcome this illness? God, here are my requests. But intercession is when I, when I pray for my sisters and when I pray for my brothers, when I pray for those who don't even know Christ yet, 
When I come as an intermediate between the creator of the universe and other people, that's intercession. So what he's saying is don't relegate yourself to just one kind of prayer. Don't relegate yourself to just that kind of prayer that starts with dear Jesus and ends with in Jesus' name or just the prayer for the hamburger. But be in constant communication with God in a variety of different ways. He says with all prayer and supplication. He says praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end he says keep alert keep alert, right? In the midst of prayer, there's a call for us. And I know we tend to close our eyes when we pray, right? That tends to be our practice. You've probably even heard people say, bow your head and close your eyes. We don't bow our heads and close our eyes because, we, uh, because that's necessary in order to communicate with God. In fact, if we're gonna communicate with God at all times, when you're on the freeway, I hope you're not closing your eyes, right? But we close our eyes in prayer a lot of times because it frees us from distraction. We bow our heads in humility and as a, way, as a way to physically demonstrate our honor of God, we bow our heads and close our eyes. But what he's saying here is that what we don't wanna do is to close our eyes uh, spiritually, right? We don't wanna close our eyes to what's going on around us. I love, uh, I love the idea we see in Nehemiah. This is just one example of this. But in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah's talking about the attack that's coming his way, in, in uh, Nehemiah 4, 9, it says, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night, right? There's this idea of praying to God, but also being alert and attentive to attacks that may come, to things that are going on in my world, things that are happening in my circumstance. The idea of being in prayer, in the spirit, at all times and in all ways, is not that I put my head in the sand and that I'm oblivious to what's going on around me, but that I keep my attention up so that I can tell where the attacks are coming from, where I can tell where I need to put that shield into, into use, right? There is a call for us to be alert. I, I even think about what we studied in Habakkuk at the beginning of the year. If you can remember all the way back to our study of Habakkuk, Habakkuk makes a plea to God, even what we might consider a kind of a selfish plea, a kind of a frustrated plea, and then what does he say at the beginning of the second chapter? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my post on the watchtower and I'm gonna wait and see what God will reply. There's a call to alertness. It's not that we pray and we sort of turn off our minds or that we turn off our intellect or we turn off our awareness, but rather that we pray in conjunction with that alertness and that awareness, that we're paying attention. He says, pray at all times in the spirit, in all ways. Keep alert, verse 18, keep alert and also persevere or remain steadfast. Back to Ephesians chapter six. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. There is a call for us to continuance, that perseverance or that continuance. You know, sometimes we pray things and we don't, uh, we don't get exactly what we want right away. You know what I'm talking about? You may be praying for an answer. You may be praying for a job. You may be praying for health. You may be praying to find a mate. You may be praying to have a kid. You, you may be praying for all kinds of things and God doesn't answer the prayer immediately and so a lot of times what happens is we go, all right, I'm walking away. God's not gonna do what I told him to do and so I'm finished. There's a call for us as followers of Jesus to continue to persevere in prayer. I think about even the story that Jesus tells. We, we don't have time to look there this morning, but if we were to look at the story in uh, Luke chapter 18, where it talks about the unrighteous judge and the woman who's kind of banging on his door all night long. Jesus tells that story to, to sort of paint a picture of the lesser to the greater, but he says if an unrighteous judge will listen to someone who is persistent, how much more will your father who loves you and calls you his children pay attention when you cry out to him, Right? If an unrighteous judge will do that out of irritation, how much more will a loving father listen to his children? There's a call for us to persist. Let me tell you why that call to persist exists also. 
You see, as we're waiting for God, you, you recognize, and so do I, that God has a different timeline than we do, right? That God's on a different clock. That sometimes the things we're praying for, he has every intention to answer, but he's not gonna answer them on our wristwatch. He's not gonna answer them on our clock. In the intervening moments between the time we first pray and the time that God answers that prayer, whether yes or a no or whatever, in the intervening moment, you and I have the opportunity to glorify God by coming to him again and again and again and again. He is glorified every time we take a knee before him. Every time we turn our attention to him and say, God, I am here and I need your help. Every time we turn to him again, he is re-glorified, if you will. The glory just exponentially stacks up in the waiting. Does that make sense? And so there is a call for us to be persistent, not because we're changing God's mind, not because he's gonna go, oh, well, you asked me 20 times and so I'm gonna do it. God's timeline is God's timeline. But as we wait for God's answer to our prayer, we can glorify him exponentially so, as we re-engage and persist. So he says, be praying at all times in the spirit, in all ways, keeping yourself alert and persistent or steadfast and making supplication for all the saints. Making supplication for all the saints. He says this prayer needs to be a prayer for one another. When he talks about the saints, by the way, he's not talking about you know, the apostle John. He's not talking about Peter. He's not talking about those saints, although they're included, certainly, but when he talks about the saints, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about those who are followers of Christ, who've been chosen, who've been redeemed, who've been rescued from sin and death, who've been lifted up and seated at the right hand with, the, with Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. He's talking about us. We have to be in prayer for one another. I love that prayer isn't only a personal pursuit. It's not a thing that I just come to with my own requests, but there is the call for intercession on behalf of one another. He says, pray for the saints. Make supplication for the saints. Be praying for each other. Why? Because we're all under the same attack. Because God, God is trying to keep us all united and desires that we would all be united, but we are all equally being attacked by the enemy who's trying to divide us. So there's a need for prayer, not only for us, but notice then in 19 and 20 that Paul says, for instance, I need prayer. Look at what Paul gives us an example of as he's asking for prayer for himself. He says in 19, also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, pray at all times in the spirit, in all ways, keeping alert, persevering, and praying for the saints. And while you're at it, me, I mean me, pray for me, he says. Paul. A guy who's already gone out of his way twice in the book of Ephesians alone to pray for us now says, hey, you know what? Not only do I want to pray for you, but I need it as much as anybody else does. He says, pray for me. Look at what Paul prays. This might be surprising to you. Paul prays that he would be given the words to say. I, I don't typically think of Paul as being a guy who doesn't know what he wants to say. He seems to say it fairly well. But do you see in this a recognition of his own dependence? The Apostle Paul's dependence on God's supply for the right words. Are you worried about the right thing to say to your friends and your family and your neighbors? Are you worried you might say it wrong or you might get it backwards or you, you might cause more problems than you solve? Pray that God would give you the words. Not only, he says, pray that I'm given the words in opening my mouth, but that I would open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery. He's talking about this thing that most of the world doesn't get, the mystery that was given to him to carry on to the Gentiles. There is an oddity to the message that you and I have been called to proclaim. 
And we don't need to be afraid of that oddity. We don't need to be worried about the mystery, but we can lean into the weirdness of what it means to be followers of Christ. He says, pray that I'll be given the words to proclaim boldly the mystery that most people don't get, right? That I'll be able to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which he says I'm an ambassador in chains. This is a guy that's on house arrest and he sees himself as an ambassador. We've talked before about the fact that the church is meant to be an embassy of the future. That there is a day coming when the world, the entire world will live in submission to Jesus the King. And until that day when the entire world and all creation has been gathered under his headship, we have the opportunity to put on display what a world like that would look like as ambassadors in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. He says, pray that I'll I'll, I'll have the right words, that I'll proclaim boldly the mystery of the gospel which I'm an ambassador for, that I may declare it boldly as I ought, that I'll do the thing. What has he called us to do earlier in this book? Earlier he says, live a life worthy of your calling. What's he saying? Pray for me that I'll live a life worthy of my calling. That's Paul. We can be praying these same things for one another. He closes the book by saying, so that you know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I love the fact that he's looking here, after writing all of this, he says, it's important as a family and as a body that you know how I am, that you know how we're doing, that you know what we're up to, and that you be encouraged. And so I'm sending Tychicus to communicate that to you. I love the fact that we communicate with one another. Even in this social distancing era, we've got our social hours and we've got our Zoom calls and we've got our small gatherings or whatever that we are connected with one another. Why? Because there's a biblical precedent that says we're not meant to be lone rangers. We're not meant to serve Jesus in isolation. That the communication of how we are and what we're doing is is an encouragement to the greater body. He says, I'm sending this guy to you so you'll know where I am and what I'm doing, what I'm up to, and you'll be encouraged by that. And then he closes with this closing. He says in 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Kiddos, if you have the coloring sheet today, uh, it says love incorruptible. That's where it comes from. And as he closes this book that has been about God's purposes, as he closes this book that has been about the revolutionary kindness of God that rescues us from sin and death and then the humble solidarity that we are meant to have with our fellow man as we carry that revolutionary kindness to others. As he closes the book, what does he pray for us? He prays peace rather than division, disruption. He prays for love in faith, right? Love in faith and grace for those who love Jesus with an incorruptible love. Peace, love and faith, and grace. You know what the key is to revolutionary kindness rooted in humble solidarity? Recognizing that everyone apart from Christ is lost and dead in their sin and that there is a baseline of human experience in which we all need to be rescued and we all need to be redeemed and that we can reveal Christ by carrying his revolutionary kindness and his grace to others. The key to unlocking that door is peace and love and faith and grace. It's exactly what he prays at the end. That we would love Jesus with that incorruptible love and that we would recognize and replicate his love to other people. He tells us to put on the armor of God and to pray. Pray in the spirit at all times, in all ways, with our eyes open because the battle is constant, persevering and praying for one another 
that the enemy will not get a foothold on the ground that Jesus has already taken, that we would be alive to love. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would stir in us a heart to pray at all times, in all ways, in your spirit, alert and persevering, that our body would be united and that we would be a community of peace and unity and harmony and purity that reveals you accurately. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.